Appreciate the message this morning. That's one of my favorite texts there in Corinthians. Who hath delivered us from so great a death, and doth deliver, and whom we trust he will yet deliver. That's good news and glad tidings when the gospels preached to declare that he hath delivered. I like the EDs. The theology of the world would have you think that God made us savable, that he made us deliverable, that he made us redeemable or justifiable. But the fact of the matter is he justified us, reconciled us, redeemed us, and saved us from our sins as a completed action. And then he doth deliver us daily. Every single day we live, we experience the delivering hand of God. And we look forward to that day down the road in the future when the Lord will deliver us from this world in the glory. Again, one of my, my favorite verses, and I appreciate Brother Tim presenting it to us this morning. I want to take a look at uh, two statements found in the Gospels. The first one is in Luke chapter 1, verse 37. The second one's in the book of Mark, chapter 10. And um, we find that these two statements are answers to two questions. The first one in Luke chapter 1, verse 37, we find this is a statement made by an angel to Mary, in which the angel says to Mary that all things are possible with God. The statement that's found over in the 10th chapter in the book of Mark is a statement that Jesus Christ makes to his disciples based upon a question they ask him. And his answer is, with men this is impossible, but not with God. All things are possible with God. I want us to think about those two statements. Those are two statements that you should try to place in your mind and keep there on a daily basis. We go to the book of Luke, we find the question that was asked that prompted this statement by the angel made by Mary was, how should these things be, seeing I know not a man? And that question is based upon what the angel has just got through saying unto Mary, when the angel said to Mary, thou hast found favor with God. And says, thou shalt conceive and bring forth a son, thou shalt call his name Jesus. And he shall be great, he shall be called the son of the highest. And he shall sit upon his father's throne, that is of David, that shall be forever and ever. So when that message comes to Mary, Mary asks the question, how should these things be, seeing I know not a man? Mary was a virgin. She had never known a man in an intimate manner, intimate way. She was a spouse to Joseph, but she knew that they had kept themselves separate from one another. So she says, how should these things be? This is not a statement of doubt like it was with Zacharias. It's just simply asking for an explanation. How shall these things be, seeing I know not a man? And then the angel tells her that the Holy Ghost shall come upon thee, the power of the highest shall rest upon thee, and that holy thing that shall be born of thee shall be called the Son of God. And then the angel says, and thy cousin uh, Elizabeth, she also has conceived a child in her old age, six months uh, prior to that, and said she was already called barren. And then the angel says to Mary, for with God all things are possible. Now the angel just told Mary two things that apart from God are impossible. It's impossible for a virgin to carry a child in her womb. It's impossible for a virgin to be able to carry a child in her womb and bring that child into this world. It's also impossible 
for a woman past the age of childbearing, as Elizabeth was, it was already called barren, it was impossible for her to conceive and bring forth a child. And yet the angel says both of these things are going to take place. In fact, Elizabeth has already conceived, and ye shall conceive. So the angel has put forth to Mary two things that are impossible. But the angel says all things are possible with God. God specializes in doing the impossible. God is a specialist. There's nothing impossible with God. Now we come over to the book of Mark, chapter 10, and you'll find where a rich young ruler comes to the Lord Jesus Christ with a question. He says, good master, what good thing shall I do that I might inherit eternal life? The Lord responds to begin with, he says, why call ye me good? There's only one good, which is God. Now this, what is Jesus saying to the rich young ruler here? If you're calling me good and don't see me as God, you shouldn't be calling me good because there's no man good upon the face of this earth. But if you call me good because you recognize I am God manifest in the flesh, I am the son of God, then that's a different story. So we ask him the question, why callest thou me good? There is none good but God. Now that is taught us in the word of God. You go to Romans chapter three and the apostle Paul said, there's none good, no, not one. And there's none righteous, no, not one. When he says, no, not one, that's in anticipation of you possibly trying to think of an exception. Okay? There is none good, no, not one, just in case you think there's an exception to what I've just said. There, no, that's, that's not true. And there's none righteous, no, not one, in case you're thinking of an exception. There is no exception to this. There's none good, no exception. There's none righteous, no exception. So Jesus says, why are you calling me good? For there's none good but God. If you see me just as a man apart from God, then why are you calling me good? But if you see me as God, then it's okay to call me good because God's the only one that is good. And then the Lord asks him, he says, concerning the commandments. And he gives this rich young ruler five of the last six commandments of the Ten Commandments. And when he lists them out here, the rich young ruler replies by saying, I've kept all these things from my youth up. Now Matthew, Mark, and Luke, all three, record this particular event. And when you put them all together, again, we find this man is a young man, he's a rich man, he's a ruler. And for a man to be a ruler in a young age, he must have been a very impressive young man. He must have been exceptional. Usually young men didn't become rulers, especially rulers of the synagogue. That was usually one of the older men, usually referred to as an elder. But this man here is a ruler. This man has authority. This man has power. This man has riches. And this man has youth. Now everybody has youth in life. When you're born and you start growing up, you have youth, right? Now over time, you lose that youth. <laughs> but everybody doesn't become rich. And everybody doesn't become powerful. But by nature, man would like to be rich, and by nature, man would like to be powerful and have authority. Here's a man that's got all three of them. He's got power and authority, he's got riches, and he's a young man. Well, as I've already said, he will definitely lose his youth, no matter what, what you do to try to prevent it, you just not going to accomplish that. And oftentimes men lose their power and lose their authority, and oftentimes men lose their riches. But he's got three things here that man by nature 
desires. There's nothing wrong with having wealth as long as wealth don't have you. There's nothing wrong with having things money can buy if you don't forget the things that's important that money can't buy. And that's the problem a lot of people have. They have a lot of great possessions that requires money to have those possessions, but they've overlooked the fact that the most important things in life can't be bought with money. And then there are those who have great possessions, but unfortunately those possessions have them. They possess them. So then possession and possessions, possessions possess them. And that's not a good situation to be in. I believe this man to be sincere. I believe this man to come to the Lord with a sincere question. What good thing can I do that I might inherit eternal life? The Lord does not give him these commandments here to teach that he can obtain eternal life by doing them because the Bible makes it very, very clear that that's an impossibility. We find in Romans 3.20 where the Apostle Paul said, but the deeds of the law shall no flesh be justified in his sight, period. In the second chapter of James, we're told if, you've, if you're guilty of one point of the law, it makes you guilty of all of it. This man is only considering, by the way, the outward external uh, laws that God gave him. But the Lord Jesus Christ taught in the Sermon on the Mount that you can break these laws inwardly. He said, if a man is guilty of hatred, then that's the equivalent of being guilty of murder. If a man's guilty of lust by looking on a, on a woman, he says he's guilty inwardly of adultery. Now, this young, rich, young ruler, I think, is looking at the external, the outward. And when the Lord gives him commandments five through nine, the rich, young ruler says, I've kept all these from my youth up. He was pretty confident about that. He's looking at the external, looking at the outward uh, thing concerning the law. He thought he'd kept those things outwardly. But then the Lord says, well, there's one thing that you lack. And that's commandment number 10. One thing you lack, he says, go and sell what thou hast and give to the poor and come and follow me and thou shalt have treasure in heaven. Now the rich young ruler, when he got that answer, went away very sorrowful because he was very rich. He had great possessions. Now, I believe his sorrow was in proportion to the great possessions that he had. He came to the Lord, to the right source. He came uh, with a question that was on his mind, in his heart. The Lord answered that question. The Lord answered him in such a manner and way to prove to him that he could not keep the law, that there was actually nothing he could do to inherit eternal life. When he went away very sorrowful, the disciples were standing there watching this and observing this and listening to all of this. Then the Lord went on to say this, How hardly shall they that trust in riches enter into the kingdom of heaven? Notice how the Lord phrased that. How hardly shall they that trust in riches. You may, if you have riches, that's wonderful. Just don't trust in them. They're not reliable. He then says, how hardly shall a rich man enter into the kingdom of heaven. It'd be easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle. Now that's prompted a lot of speculation over the years. Just exactly what the Lord had in consideration there. Is it a literal camel? Is it a literal needle? Well, the Lord has the power to take a camel and shriek him down to the point he could get him through a needle. <laughs> But outside of that, it's not going to happen, is it? I remember being over in the Bible land, 1999, and our guy took us through a, a very narrow opening between two great boulders and rocks. And he said, uh, it is very difficult to lead a camel through that opening. 
And he gave, he gave that explanation as to what the Lord was talking about here through the eye, through the opening of something. He says, you got these two great big walls, rock walls here, and you got a very narrow opening. It is almost impossible to lead a camel and get him to go through that opening. I, I can see that. It'd be pretty hard to lead me through it. <laughs> and when he said that, the disciples were astonished beyond measure. Here's a man that's rich, and yet he, the Lord said, hardly shall he, uh, enter, you know, he that trusts in riches enter into the kingdom of heaven. If a rich man couldn't do it, how's a poor man going to do it? That's the way their mentality was. The Jews had the mentality that if a man was wealthy, if a man was rich, that was the evidence of God's blessings upon that individual. In the Old Testament day, that was primarily true. God blessed natural blessings upon those that were in obedience and he promised to remove those blessings in disobedience. So the Jews had developed this mindset over the years. So they recognize this young man is a rich man. He's got wealth. He's rich. They see him turn away and go away very sorrowful, unwilling to depart with those possessions that he had. He was guilty of the 10th commandment. He was guilty of being covetous. And the Lord didn't tell him to go and sell what you got and give it all. He said, go and sell what you got and give it to the poor and come and follow me and you'll have treasure. You'll have a greater treasure than the treasure that you're going to get rid of. The treasure that comes within your heart when you've done that which is right. That's why the Bible tells us in Acts chapter 20 is more blessed to give than it is to receive. Now you have to teach that principle to children in an early age because they, uh, all they've er learned so far in their early days is receive, 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 you know. And grandparents contribute to that. <laughs> They just can't buy them grandkids enough. They may have a, a, a big box full of toys, but they can always use another one. <laughs> you know, they just contribute to that. It's their responsibility to spoil the grandkids. It's their right to do it. <laughs> I think all grandparents understand what I'm saying here, but it may not be necessarily good for the child. So here's a man that's got wealth, but he goes away very sorrowful because he's not willing to do what the Lord said. The Lord gave him the right answer. And then the Lord said, how hard shall they that trust in riches enter into the kingdom of heaven? He didn't say it was impossible. He said, but how hard shall it be? And those disciples then said, well, who then can be saved? And the Lord replies, and here's the second statement. The Lord replies by saying, with men, this is impossible, but not with God. For all things are possible with God. Now the angel says to Mary, all things are possible with God. The Lord Jesus Christ says to the disciples, with men their things is impossible, but all things are possible with God. Now, I like to think about that. Because there's a lot of things, my friends, if God doesn't do it, it's not going to get done. Because by nature, it's impossible. Let's go back to Mary's case just for a second. Now, I'm confident that Mary was familiar with the Old Testament. The Jews had the, the book of Genesis through Malachi. They had the 39 books of the Old Testament. They had the testimony of God. Romans 3, 3, Paul says, What is fancy after the Jew? He says, Much in every way, because unto them were committed the oracles of God. They had an advantage the Gentile nations didn't have. And this angel just told Mary, She's going to conceive and bring forth a son and bring him forth into this world, call his name Jesus. And she's never known a man. The angel just says, something's going to happen to you that's impossible. The angel explains it. He says, the Holy Spirit, the Holy Ghost shall come upon thee. The power of the highest shall rest upon thee. And that holy thing that shall be born of thee shall be called the Son of God. 
I've got a feeling that Mary may have just thought about the experience of Abraham and Sarah. That's why the Bible tells us in Romans 15, 4, the things written aforetime was written for our learning that we through patience and comfort of the scriptures might have hope. And if she did, she goes back to a time when God comes to Abraham in Genesis chapter 17, verse 1, and he appeared to him as God Almighty. Because about what he's going to promise Abraham is going to take the Almighty's power to be able to bring it to pass. He tells Abraham that he's going to have a son. And he's going to, this son here is going to be the father, he's going to be the father of many nations, he's going to have a son. And Abraham says, oh, that Ishmael might live. Now, he already had a son named Ishmael, but he, Ishmael was born by Hagar, the Egyptian bondmaid, bondwoman. But the Lord says, I know all about Ishmael, I'll bless Ishmael. He says, but no, you're going to have a son, his name's going to be called Isaac. And then in chapter 18, we find where the Lord appears unto Abraham and Isaac, and one of those three men appear in the heat of the day in the tent. And Abraham asks a question, where's Sarah at? And the Bible says that Sarah's behind the tent door. And then the Lord says, I'm going to appear to thee at the appropriate time, and Sarah's going to conceive and bring forth a son. I shall call his name Isaac, and I will establish my covenant with him. And the Bible says that Mary, excuse me, um, uh, uh, Sarah laughed behind the tent door. And she said, how in the world can this be? How in the world can uh, uh, me at my age have pleasure of my Lord when I'm old and well stricken in years? That's when the Lord asked that wonderful question, is there anything too hard for the Lord? The Lord's going to perform something impossible with me, and it was impossible for Abraham and Sarah to have a child. But God did a lot of impossible things over here in the Old Testament day to encourage the saints in the New Testament day that he could do what he said he was going to do. And when it come to Mary having a child, being a virgin, she had a record of a lot of barren women in the Old Testament that God blessed them in that barren state to have a child. They weren't virgins, but they were barren. And Sarah is going to be 90 years old. She brings forth this child in this world. But I'd like for you to go to Genesis 21.1, the opening verses here. It said that God visited Sarah as he had said, and he did unto Sarah as he had spoken. Whatever God says, whatever God speaks, it's going to come to pass. So he visited Sarah. God visited Sarah and did as he had said, and he performed unto her what he had spoken. And she conceived and bring forth, brought forth a son unto Abraham in his old age. One hundred years of age constitutes an old age in the Bible, and I am far from that. But I can establish 100 is old. If I get to be 100, I will admit, at that point, I will admit that I've gotten old. So in his old age, at 100, God blesses him to have a child. Just like God said. I'm sure Mary knew that story. I'm sure Mary, Mary had the information recorded back in Genesis concerning that. And therefore, when the angel comes to Mary and says, you found favor with God, and you shall conceive and bring forth a son, shall call his name Jesus. With that information back there, I'm sure that was encouraging unto her. But how shall these things be? She was just normal. She was human. She said, well, how can these things be, seeing I know not a man? She knew and understood by the natural process. A woman had to know a man to be able to conceive and bring forth a child. Yet the angel has told her, you're going to have a child. And yet she knew she had never known a man. So the angel gives her the explanation. The power of the high shall rest upon thee. The Holy Ghost shall come upon thee. And that holy thing, Mary is the only woman in history to ever bring forth a child in this world called a holy thing. 
And he was holy. He was holy undefiled and separate from sinners. He was sinless. He never sinned in thought, never sinned in emotion, never sinned in feeling, never sinned in his heart, never sinned inwardly or outwardly, never sinned by omission or commission. He was that holy thing. She's the only woman, only mother in human history and will be the only woman in human history to be able to do that. God did the impossible, didn't he? And when the angel says that Mary, thy cousin, and she must have been a much older cousin, who's well stricken in years, already called barren, she's already got a child in her womb of Zacharias. You read in the first part of Luke chapter 1, how all that came to pass. You'll find where Zacharias and Elizabeth uh, are married, and they're ministering in the temple. And Zacharias, while he's in the temple, an angel comes to Zacharias and says, Thy prayers have been heard. That tells me that they must have been praying for a child. It says, Elizabeth shall conceive and bring forth a son. And then that's when, John, that's when Zacharias says, how shall these things be, seeing we are old and well stricken in years? That was not for information. That was a statement of doubt. And that statement of doubt led Zacharias to becoming uh, speechless for nine months. He could not talk for nine months. When that child was born, they came, they wanted to name him Zechariah, and his wife said, no, his name is John. They appealed unto Zacharias, and he took a writing table and wrote on there, his name is John. God made a believer out of him. Couldn't talk for nine, nine months. It was a miracle he survived. A lot of people wouldn't survive not being able to talk for nine months, but Zechariah did. Now the Lord overheard the rich young, rich young ruler, the question he answers by the disciples is this, then how can men be saved? If this rich young ruler is not going to be, uh, you know, saved in the sense under consideration, then how can, how can anybody be saved? And the Lord said, with men, this is impossible. Notice, and I think the question has to do with eternal life. That's the question of the rich young ruler. What good things shall I do to inherit eternal life? And the Lord said, with men, this is impossible, but not with God. There are some things that are impossible. It is impossible for a man to come to God except he's drawn by God. I gave you that in the beginning this morning, John 6, 44. The Lord Jesus Christ said, no man can come to me except the Father which sent me draw him. And I've mentioned this to you before, but every single one of us here this morning are, you know, are that exception that the Lord's talking about. Every air promise, every object of God's grace will experience that exception. Sometime between conception and death, they will experience that exception. They'll be drawn by God to the, by the, by God to the Son, the Son to the God, to the Father. There are some things that are impossible. It's impossible man to do that apart from God's drawing grace. Now, there are some illustrations in the Bible that teach us this. Let's look at 2 Samuel 14, 14 just for a moment. In 2 Samuel 14, 14, the writer says, As water that is spilt on the ground that cannot be gathered up. Now think about that. Can you gather water that's spilt onto the ground? Can you get it back and put it back in the bottle? You take a, a gallon pitcher or whatever the container is full of water and you pour it out onto the ground. Can you gather that water back up again? And the answer is obvious, isn't it? As water spilt on the ground cannot be gathered up. You ever spilt a drink that you just got and you spilt it there on the ground? Did you gather it back up and put it back into the cup? As water spilt upon the ground which cannot be gathered back up. 
He says, even so the Lord has devised means whereby his banished shall not be expelled from him. And that verse says here that God has devised means that he can take that which is impossible and correct it. God has devised means. What are those means that God has devised? Well, it's the, the sending forth of his son into this world. That's the means. He sent his son into this world that he might live the life you couldn't live, do the work you couldn't do, cross your T's, dot your I's, live, live your life in your place. Brother Tim quoted 2 Corinthians 5, 21, where it says, For he became sin for us, and you know sin, that we might be made the righteousness of God in him. 2 Corinthians 8 and 9 says, For we know the grace of God, that though he was rich, he became poor, that we through his poverty might become rich. Christ came to do what we couldn't do, as water spilt on the ground, which cannot be gathered up. If you can gather that water up back that you spilt on the ground, I'll change my theology. I'll change my doctrine if you can do that. I'm not worried about it. I'm not worried in the slightest about it. Over in the book of Jeremiah, chapter 13, Verse 23, the Lord asked two questions. He says, can the Ethiopian change the color of his skin? Can the leper change his spots? Can he? Can the Ethiopian change the color of his skin? He's got, his skin is a certain color by nature, right? Can he change that? No, he cannot. And can a leopard change his spot? That's how you know that he's a leopard from, from other animals. He's got spots on him. He's got characteristics and traits about him that identify him as a leopard. Can he change his spots? If a leopard can change his spots, and Ethiopian can change the color of his skin, I'll change my doctrine. I'm not least worried about it. It's an impossibility. He then says, Then ye cannot do good who are accustomed to doing evil. They were accustomed to doing evil. They were continuous doing evil. That was their nature. That was their, uh, you know, their life. They were always doing evil, and therefore they couldn't do good. No more than a leopard could change his spots, or the Ethiopian could change the color of his skin. Now, why does the Lord give us these illustrations? Hopefully, get the point across of what the Lord said with men: this is impossible. Men cannot save themselves. Men cannot save anybody else. Who then can be saved was a question of the disciples. And the Lord said, with men this is impossible, but not with God. Aren't you glad that's in there? But not with God, for all things are possible with God. In order for us to be saved, a ransom price had to be paid. Where's that ransom price going to, be, going to come from? It's not going to come from men. Because man does not have the ability to pay the ransom price, but God did. He sent forth his son in this world. Psalms 109, verse 11 says, He sent redemption to the earth. Holy and reverend is his name. That's why his name is holy. That's why his name is reverend. Because he, as God Almighty, sent his son, which is redemption, to this earth. That's why we don't call our ministers reverend. I, I know you should know that. That's why I don't call any man reverend. Why you should never call a man reverend. Sometimes people will call me that because they don't know we don't go by that title. And I tell you, I, usually I try to correct them, uh, whatever. Uh, that just makes me shudder when someone would just say that. Call me Reverend because I know that's God's name. It refers to him. He's the only one worthy to carry that name, carry that title. He has sent redemption to his people. Holy and Reverend is his name. His name only is holy. His name only is Reverend. With men, this is impossible. You don't have the means in the Psalms, the writer says, 
he had, uh, that boast of his wealth and the multitude of his riches. He can by no means save his brother, redeem his brother. He may have all the gold in the world. He may have all the silver in the world. He may be one of the most wealthiest men upon the face of this earth. But he does not have the means to redeem his brother. It required the shed blood of Jesus Christ. So when the writer in 2 Samuel 14, 14 says, there's water that's spilt on the ground. Cannot be gathered up. I want to impress that upon your mind one more time. It cannot be gathered up. Neither can man pull him up, himself up by his bootstraps. <laughs> Neither can man change his nature. Neither can man change his heart. Only God can change the heart of a man. Only God can change the nature, put a divine nature inside, my friends. Take out the hard and stony heart and replace it with a heart of flesh. That's impossible with men, but it's not impossible with God. It is possible with God, and God does it. God performs this work on every child of grace, every heir of promise. That's what you are here this morning. You are a child of the king. You're an heir of promise. You're an object of God's love. And the very fact you're here this morning tells me sometime in the past, in your experience, after you were conceived in your mother's womb, it might have been in your mother's womb when God quickened you and made you alive in Christ. I've heard people say, Brother Lawrence, I just feel like I've loved the Lord all the days of my life. I cannot remember a time when I didn't call upon God and love the Lord. You are extremely blessed if that's your experience. And yet there's others, my friends, who live the life of years in which they would curse God, look right up into heaven and, and curse the God of glory. Might be like Saul of Tarsus who was a man that would give out threatenings and slaughters against the people of God and he would go and get God's children, men, women, and children, make havoc of them and he'd bring them back and drag them back and put them into prison. Nobody could do anything with this, with this man until God come on the scene, but God did it. In Acts chapter 9, when Paul's on the road to Damascus, the Saul of Tarsus with letters of authority to get God's people there and bring them back to Jerusalem, the Almighty God arrested him on that trip brought him right down to the dust of the earth. But he didn't do any more for him than he did for you or for me. That might be, not be your exact experience, but I'm telling you, when God born you the Spirit of God, he did something for you you would never have done for yourself. You didn't even have the desire to do it for yourself or anybody else. And God born you the Spirit of God. With men, this is impossible, but not with God. All things are possible with God. Is it possible for the sun to stop, stand still for a while? Without divine intervention? No, it's not. But I read in Joshua chapter 10 where it did. I read in John chapter 10 where Joshua's gone out to battle and he prayed to God for extended time. Daylight saving time didn't begin a few years back. It started way back in the days of Joshua. God gave Joshua daylight saving time, brother. <laughs> God just caused the sun and moon to stop. It didn't get, didn't start getting dark till the battle was over and Joshua won the battle. And then God let the sun resume again. <laughs> the creator, my friends, of the universe is able to do things just like that. God can start the rain. God can stop the rain. I can give you plenty of places in the Bible where God brought a plague upon the nation of Israel, others due to his judgment upon them, and then at a certain time he just simply stopped it. Did you know God could stop this virus at this moment if he pleased to do so? From time to time people ask me the question, you think this virus is a judgment of God? Let me just tell you this this morning. I'll give you my personal thoughts and feelings about the whole matter. 
Right now as I speak, we have turmoil and chaos like crazy in this country of ours. Right now at this moment, we got the most serious problems you can imagine over in Afghanistan. At this very moment, a hurricane is getting ready to plow right into the United States of America. About a week ago, there was a hurricane came in the east side. A week ago, there's 17 inches of rain that fell in six hours. California's always got wildfires, mudslides, or earthquakes on a continuous basis. I know historically and biblically, God has used all these things at one time or another to bring judgment upon this, upon this earth. I cannot tell you which one might be the hand of God's judgment, but I can, I can, I'm assured in my heart anyway that we're looking at the judgment of God upon this world, upon our country, because what we have sown now, we're also reaping. That all could change like that. God could stop this virus right in its steps, immediately. You wouldn't even hear about it anymore. But man's learning real fast. With men, things are impossible. But not with God. That's why God told them there in 2 Chronicles 7, 14, if my people, which are called by my name, will humble themselves and pray and seek my face and repent, I will hear from heaven and I will heal their land. Now, it was God speaking to a nation of people, the nation of Israel. But I believe that principle would apply to us in the New Testament day. If God's people, if we as God's people will humble ourselves and pray and turn from our wicked ways and seek his face, I believe the God of glory would hear that. And I believe we'd have, see a change come about here. These things is coming upon our land more and more. I mean, every single week, almost every day, there's something new to be reported in the news concerning catastrophes, one thing and another. God could stop it just like that if it was his desire to do so. And we need to be praying that God would have mercy upon us. That's the only reason we're not already consumed and totally destroyed is due to the mercy of God. That's what Jeremiah tells in the book of Lamentations. It's of the Lord's mercies. We're not consumed. They're new every morning. When I got up this morning and saw the sunshine, there was another testimony of the mercies of God. I'll tell you this, when you're trying to travel anymore and you go five and six and seven hours and you reach your destination, you've experienced the mercies of God. People out there, there's more people driving than ever been driving since people have been driving. And you got all kinds of categories of people out there driving. You got people driving drunk. You got people driving on drugs. You got people driving texting while they're driving. You got people driving under stress. You got people driving one eye closed and one eye open, half asleep. You don't think you need the mercy of God to help you along the highways driving here and there? You just hadn't driven lately. As soon as you pull out of the driveway, you're in the war zone. In fact, sometimes when you pull out of the garage, um, Karen's, uh, we had our car back in the garage and Karen was going to put it out the other day and she had the cargo door open and forgot about the garage door thing hanging down and put a nice little scratch on it. She comes <laughs> in the house, she says, I don't want you to be mad at me. <laughs> don't you just love something like that? You know, or just tell me. <laughs> I'll scratch the car. <laughs> Okay, <laughs> we done got it fixed. It looks good. $200 later, it looks good. <laughs> so you don't have to get out of your garage, your driveway. As soon as you do, you're in a war zone out here. 
The God of glory, my friends, can do the impossible. There's that illustration we give this morning, but I, I'm going to wrap this up here. I just want to reemphasize what we've already said. That statement the angel made to Mary, I want you not to forget it. The statement the angel made to Mary was, all things are possible with God. Yes, you're a virgin, but you're going to conceive and you're going to bring that child into this world. Yes, Elizabeth, your cousin, is well old and stricken in years and she was called barren, but she's already conceived. She's got a child that's all, she's already about six months down the road because all things are possible with God. Yeah, that rich young ruler went away very sorrowful, but if you look there in the book of Mark's account, you see where the Lord loved him. If the Lord loved him, he was one of his children. But he went away a sad child of God. I don't want God's children to be sad. I want them to be glad. I want them to be happy. I want them to be joyful in the Lord. Don't you? I want them to understand the doctrines of uh, truth of God's wonderful and sovereign grace. I want them to understand while we are limited, while we are frail, we are weak, we are poor, we are undone, while there are things that we cannot do, there's nothing that God cannot do. You remember... Remember when David went out to fight Goliath in 1 Samuel chapter 17? You know what Saul told David? He says, you're not able. And in his own power and own strength, he was not able. It would be impossible for him to go out and fight that giant. But God come along and took over. When those spies came back from, from over there, you know, spied out in the land of Canaan, and they came back and brought that evil report. They said, we be not able. But Joshua and Gabriel said, oh, we are able because in you with God all things are possible. So when you read something like Philippians 4 and 13, don't just take it casually when Paul says, we can do all things through Christ which strengtheneth us. All things are honorable in his sight. All things are according to his word. All his commandments, his instruction, you can do them no matter how weak you feel, how frail you feel, how uh, uh, insignificant you feel like as you are. If God has instructed you concerning certain things, you can do it. You can do it. Now, when somebody says, you know, you can do anything you want to, all you got to do is set your mind to it, that's one of the most foolish statements I've ever heard in my life. I don't care how much you want to be president of the United States, I guarantee you ain't a person here this morning is going to make it. Just because you might want to do something doesn't mean that you can do it. But I can tell you anything that God's told you to do, you can do it. I can do all things through Christ Jesus which strengtheneth me. And Paul also wrote to the Philippians, says, I press toward the mark for the prize of the high calling of God which is in Christ Jesus, my Lord. There's a mark out there, let us press toward it. There's a mark out there. Let us understand that the God of glory who has saved us by his grace done the impossible. God, all things are possible. God, it was impossible for you to save yourself, but God has saved you. It was impossible for the elect family of God to save themselves, but Christ saved them on the cross. The God who specializes in the impossible one day will speak and our bodies will hear and our bodies shall be resurrected from the grave. One day he's going to do the impossible. Man cannot get himself out of the grave, but God can get him out of there. I believe that with all my heart. I believe there's going to be a shouting time upon the face of this earth. When the Lord comes again, it's not going to be a quiet experience. He's going to come with a shout, the voice of the archangel and the trump of God. And they which are asleep in Christ shall rise first. And we which are alive and remain shall be caught together with to meet the Lord in the air. God is going to do the impossible. God's going to open up all the graves. He's going to send his son from heaven. And we're going to rise and defy the law of gravity and be with the Lord and take it home to heaven because all things are possible with God. Now I want you to go home 
today, and I want you to burn that in your mind. <laughs> all things are possible with God. Yes, things are impossible with me and many things, but all things are possible with God, and that's the answer to the question, then who can be saved? With men, it's impossible, but not with God. All things are possible with God.